0: you tuned in to the Cocho Namdi show on WAMU 88.5. Welcome. Later in the broadcast, many Washingtonians have turned their hobbies into part-time businesses. We'll hear from some of them. But first, if you live in this region, which you probably do, you probably know that it's rare to find someone who was born and raised here and still calls the area home. But these unicorns do exist, and I found one. It's CNN's Abby Phillip. Abby Phillip was born in Alexandria and grew up in Bowie. She graduated from Bowie High School in 2006 and left the area for Boston, where she attended Harvard University. It was there, writing for the Harvard Crimson, that she realized she wanted to be a journalist. After graduating, she returned to the area and began her career. Abby Phillip is now the senior political correspondent at CNN and the host of Inside Politics Sunday with Abby Phillip. She joins us now. Abby Phillip, thank you for joining us.
1: Thanks for having me, Kojo. Um, As a longtime fan of your show, it's really great to be with you uh,
0: today. Really appreciate that. Abby Phillip, let's start with your childhood and your family. What brought your parents from Trinidad to the D.C. region?
1: Well, um, you know, I think that my parents ended up here because we... Don't, we did not have very many relatives in the United States, but my uh, great aunt lived in Virginia. And like so many immigrants, my parents tried to be as close to whatever family that we had as they tried to get started in this area. Um, and in addition to that, one of the early reasons my parents ended up in the DC area was because my, my father was actually finish, finishing his bachelor's degree at Howard University. So um, he came up here basically as a
0: student. Oh, we seem to be losing Abby Phillips. We should be reconnect Abby Phillips. We should be reconnecting with her shortly. While we're waiting to reconnect with Abby Phillips, let me see what Kara in DC, or is it Kara in DC, would like to say Cara, are you on the air? Go ahead please.
1: Uh, You had it right the first time, (laughs) Cara. (laughs) Um, Hi, Mr. Nandi. Um, Hi, Ms. Phillip. I just wanted to um, say what an asset you are to CNN and um, to the Washington, D.C. area. I followed um, your work, especially during the, um, the presidential election, and your analysis was always spot on and amazing. And now I see you every Sunday on uh, Inside Politics. I don't miss a Sunday. So I would just encourage everyone to watch you on Sundays.
0: Kara, Abby Phillip is back with us now. Kara, care to respond to that, Abby?
1: Uh, That is so great to hear, Kara. I really appreciate you saying that. Um, And um, I really appreciate the support. I mean, it's been really incredible to start this journey with so many people who um, have been a part of watching CNN for years, but have really tried to kind of support the show on Sunday mornings. And I appreciate it. And I hope you keep tuning in. And I hope that we can uh, keep giving you the kind of stories and and conversation that you want to hear.
0: Kara, thank you very much for your call. Abby, Philip, you are explaining why your parents came to live in this region. It's similar to the reasons a lot of people come to to live in this region, including your truly, friends and relatives, and Howard University all being common denominators there. As I mentioned earlier, you were born in Alexandria. How long did you stay there until your parents took you and your siblings to Trinidad and Tobago, and what do you remember about that time?
1: I, I I think I was very, very young. I mean, I was probably a few, few months old when my parents moved back to Trinidad. So until I was, um, you know, I was middle school aged, I, I was about eight years old when we came back to the United States. I had no memory of living in America. And, um, and all I knew was growing up in, in Trinidad with surrounded by my family on this this uh, tiny island in the Caribbean. So coming back to America was actually, you know, I had been, I was born here, but I felt like an immigrant myself. I was coming to this place where I spoke um, with an accent with a Trinidadian <laughs> accent that I've since lost. And um, and I had to learn the culture and it was it was definitely challenging. But I remember as a kid just being so excited to come back to this place that uh, I knew that where I had that had, I had been born in, and all of my life knowing that um, I was born in the United States was.
0: I think we lost Abby Phillip again. We'll try to connect with her by phone once again. In the meantime, I will go to a caller, to, um, Iman, in Chantilly, Virginia. Iman, you're on the air. Go ahead, please. Good afternoon, Kojo. Thank you for taking my call. You're welcome. Is Abby on the line or? She will be very shortly. But go okay, ahead. I'll, wanna, I'll re- If want- she doesn't hear your question, I'll relay it to her. <laughs> okay. I really want to ask you, Abby one question about, because she's a very outstanding reporter. She, uh, she has a mannerism that she's always uh, asked the right question. But as a reporter, I
1: think the good reporter is always is the one who gets the answer. Uh, that
0: that uh, uh, that they expect. The po- when they ask the politician a question, they need to follow up the question and make sure that the politician usually answers the question that they ask instead of pivot the question. And I really believe that the Abby that have that that quality, and I think that that she has a future on 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 this uh, CNN, and I'm, and and I really watch her every uh, every Sunday I can get, and I really believe that. Uh, she can be a
1: very good reporter, just like the... She, she is already we... a very good
0: reporter, Iman. And what we'll, what I'll do later on, and Abby Phillip is back with us now, there was a particular question you were talking about dealing with President Trump. There was a particular question that President Trump refused to answer that she asked that we'll get to very shortly in this interview. But before we go there, Abby Phillip, um, when you returned from Trinidad and Tobago and you adjusted a life in Gaithersburg and in Bowie. Um, did your family still, was your family still still have a community of, of people from Trinidad around?
1: They did. Um, we, you know, when growing up, we attended a church uh, that was mostly uh, immigrants from Trinidad. And so it was, it was our way of maintaining our tie to our culture and, and our community. And that's, uh, that was also one of the great things about it was just al- always kind of being surrounded by those people who had also come to the United States, uh, you know, at some point in the past and were part of our, our extended family when we really didn't have anyone else in in this country to kind of call actual family. Most of our family what remained in Trinidad and um, and still does remain in Trinidad even to this day.
0: Lots of Korean and roti. You folks who don't know what that is will have to look that up. Um, after graduating from Bowie High School, where I've learned you were a violinist in the orchestra, you went to Harvard as a pre-med student. Talk about what changed that path and led you to journalism.
1: Well, I learned, like so many college students, that I, um, as much as I was interested in the sciences, I was not particularly interested uh, Will you know, I the, the the kind of being in the labs and uh the, the math and the science, it just wasn't my strong suit. And you kinda have to just figure out, okay, what are your core competencies? And I realized very early on that was not one of mine. But one of the things I was always very interested in
0: here we go again. I think we're going to definitely try to get Abby on the phone this time because her connection seems to be breaking up. Here uh, is Bruce in Washington, D.C. Bruce, your turn. Uh, yeah, Kojo, I'm just kind of calling up um, due to your introduction to your guest and you called her a unicorn. And all, in, in defense of all the unicorns who live here, I <laughs> just wanted to kind of stand up and say that uh, the population of D.C. is not entirely made up of transients.
1: I, well, my family, and all my friends are born and
0: raised here. Now, y- I mean, Yes, right? uh, and Bruce, Bruce, even as I was saying that, I realized that I would probably get a call from somebody like you because I have a lot of friends who were born here. But I guess we weren't just talking about D.C., we were talking about the region as a whole. Okay, just want to, you know, put a little <laughs> pin in that, because I, I hear that a lot. What high school did you go to? Uh, Calvin Coolidge, yes, Northwest yes. D.C. That's how you know that somebody's from D.C. They always know what high school they and all of their friends went to. But, Bruce, thank you very much for your call. Abby Phillip rejoins us now by phone. Um, Abby, a lot of D.C. residents, as we were just talking about, go off to college and don't come back back. Why did you return to this area to start your journalism career here?
1: Well, I, I have to say that it was a little bit of happenstance. I was graduating from college in 2010 and it was a time that um, it was st- we were still in the middle of the economic recession and I was just looking for a job in, in, in political journalism and this is where those jobs were. So I ended up, um, I actually, in college, I interned At WJLA, um, at Channel Seven News, Mm -hmm. if you're in the DC part of the DC area, and um, I worked for the I Team, the investigative team there, on an, um, an in an internship and. And I lived at home with my parents, so the only reason I was able to do that internship was because I could live at home. And um, and then I came back the following summer, and I worked at Politico, which is based in Alexandria. And so that's where I got my first job, at Politico. And I ended up uh, staying there. I actually left um, to work in New York briefly for about nine months, but um, I, I ended up coming back. I just, I, I mean, I realized New York was not for me at the time, and I just wanted to be in, live in this area, which I think is, you know, I've been here ever since. It's a great place to live. It's a great place to make, build your life. And so I, I, I did end it. I did end up coming back home.
0: A lot of people in this profession, especially since you were in print journalism, a lot of people strive to be on TV. But you were in print, and you were apparently reluctant to be on TV every day. Why?
1: Well, you know, I mean, it's a, it's a lifestyle choice, uh, to be in the public eye in that way. And I always wanted my work to kind of stand on its own and to not be, uh, the, the, the person that people paid attention to. I wanted it to be my work being on TV. You have to accept that people are tuning in, not just for what you're saying, but because of you too. And I wasn't sure that that was something that I wanted from my career. And so, um, I think that's different from a lot of people who start out in television they do it because being on television is something that in and of itself they like and they enjoy and they like the attention and the scrutiny um and uh that that was just never my personality so i had to think about do i want people to be looking at me, physically looking at me every single day and do I want that to be part of my job.
0: And that's um, what happened. I gotta take a short break. When we come back, we'll continue our conversation with Abby Phillip. I'm Kojo O'Namd.
1: This month at WAMU, we're lifting our voices to shine a light on black changemakers throughout American history. Some you know and some you don't, but they all change the world. Hear the stories of these incredible scientists, activists, artists, and more throughout February on WAMU 88.5 and streaming at WAMU.org.
0: Welcome back. We're talking with Abby Phillips, senior political correspondent at CNN and the host of Inside Politics Sunday with Abby Phillips, taking your calls at 800-433-8850. Abby, when we took that break, we were talking about your initial oh, reluctance to, to leave print for television. And I could tell you, I share that experience somewhat. I worked in television for, ooh, a couple of decades and a half, maybe and during the course of that time when we were doing shows on a variety of topics that I thought were very important at the time, a lot of people would say, we watched your show yesterday and we don't exactly, I don't exactly remember what you were talking about, but I hated your tie. Um, have, you were talking when we broke about why you ultimately made the decision to go from print to television despite your I- initial reluctance. Please go ahead.
1: Yeah, um, well, I, I'll just and just end by saying uh, it's a trade-off in in your life. You trade off a loss of, you know, maybe a certain amount of privacy that you might have had or or anonymity that you might have had to have a. a bigger platform to share the message. And I think that that has actually been a great side product of being in TV, just for being able to reach a lot of different people and then hearing from so many people how important it is to see someone, a black woman on television in political journalism. I think that has been I didn't appreciate how important that would be. And that has been a, a, a huge side effect of this whole of this whole thing.
0: And while you're on that platform, you never know who's watching because while covering the Trump presidency for CNN in November 2018, you asked the president if he wanted acting Attorney General Matthew Whitaker to quote unquote rein in special counsel Robert Mueller. And the president's response to your question was, well, not very nice. Do
1: you want him to rein in Robert Mueller?
0: What a stupid question that is. What a stupid question. But I watch you a lot. You ask a lot of stupid questions. What was your reaction to that response, Abby? And how did you maintain your professionalism in the face of it?
1: Well, I think that when I, in that moment, um, I didn't really uh, take it personally, so to speak. I, I was more focused on the fact that he even reacted that way in the first place. It seemed to suggest that he was angry about the question because he didn't want to answer it, that it touched a nerve. That, that perhaps, you know, I was on to something that was worth pressing on. And I was trying to follow up with him, but um, as you can hear in the clip, we were outside waiting for him to leave on Marine One on the helicopter. And so um, it was extremely loud and he turned and just left right after taking that question. So there was no chance to follow up. It was only until afterward that, you know, I think a lot of people were were rightfully offended by what he said, Um, My reaction on a personal level was just that um, it didn't matter to me whether he thought the question was stupid. I knew that it wasn't a stupid question. And um, and I was I I felt more that his reaction had to do with the fact that it was probably an important question that he just didn't want to answer.
0: Yes, I think your response, in f- his response, in fact, validated your question. But speaking of people who were upset by it, I think that would include Christopher in Winchester, Virginia. Christopher, you're on the air. Go ahead, please.
1: Hi, Abby. I watched you that very particular moment, and I was very impressed that you were not emotional, but you responded appropriately. And also, I find you non-emotional even jake tapper or wolf blitzer or dana bash they would get very emotional and in their exuberant conversation whether there's anything but you are always very calm cool collect how is that <laughs> oh that's a good question i wish i knew i mean that's just for, I, it just feels like that's just how I am. That's how I approach these things. I mean, look, there is always a time, there are, there's a time and a place for emotion and for passion. And I think there's nothing wrong with those things. Um, I do think that when I approach this job, I found that when you are talking about politics, it's easy to get caught up in the passion. And it's harder to listen to people and to bring facts and to bring truth to an argument. And I do think that if when our politics works well, it is when we are able to bring our competing arguments and listen to each other and um, make a determination about what is what you think is right and what you think is wrong and and so that's what I try to do is just try to bring um, as much factual information to the argument as I can uh, and then people can decide how they feel about it it's not my job to tell people how they should feel but just to give them what I think is what I what I know is happening based on my reporting and what I know is happening uh, based on you know My my experiences as a journalist and as a human. And um, and so that's why I try to kind of keep it even keeled, because I think it helps people get to the underlying information, which which I think we need more of, frankly, in our politics and less of the kind of constant outrage that people are so used to.
0: Christopher, thank you very much for your call. 2020 was a big year for you. At just 31 years old, you helped anchor CNN's coverage of the Republican and Democratic conventions and co-moderated one of the Democratic debates alongside CNN veteran Wolf Blitzer. You stayed on the anchor desk through the election, and this is what you said a couple of days after votes were cast.
1: For black women, this has been um, really a proving moment for their political strength. carrying Joe Biden to the Democratic nomination (laughs) through the primary. Mm -hmm. Black women did that. And I think seeing a black woman on the ticket with Joe Biden on the cusp of this moment, I think, is something that will go down in history because uh, this has never happened before. And not only did would black women put Joe Biden in the White House, but they would also put a black woman in the White House as well. And that is the sort of historical poetry that I think we will live with for a long time. In addition to the fact that Donald Trump's political career began with the racist birther lie, it may very well end with a black woman in the White House.
0: Abby, that quick That clip quickly went viral. As a recent Washingtonian article noted, it was like nearly 30,000 times when HuffPost senior editor Philip Lewis tweeted out your quote. Were you surprised by the reaction your words got? And did you think of those poignant words on the spot?
1: I was very surprised by the reaction, I have to say. Um, And yeah, I mean, it was was very much um, an uh, improvised moment. I mean, I, I will say that I had been thinking about putting into context the political power of Black women for a long time, um, for for months, frankly, as I was reporting on this campaign and, and anchoring all of these big moments. It was always in the back of my mind that Black women deserve a lot of credit for what is happening in this country right now. And that just felt like the right moment to talk about it. And I, I, I think a lot of people have gravitated toward that, this idea of historical poetry, and um, that that is a, a concept that I actually hold with me not just for this that particular moment, but for a lot of moments in American history where sometimes uh, the you know the worst of us and the best of us can be um, right up against each other, and that is. Uh, something that is sometimes difficult for us to live with as a country. But it's actually one of the things that makes us great, that sometimes after our darkest moments or in our darkest moments, we can have uh, real signs of progress. And it's one of the reasons that I love studying American history. It's one of the reasons I love American politics, to see and witness those moments. And and I think the election of the first Black and uh, Indian-American woman in our country's history was, was just such a moment. And I wanted to, to just mark that.
0: Well, in January, you took over as host of the Inside Politics Sunday and was promoted to be the network's senior political correspondent. With the election and the second impeachment trial over, things have slowed a bit news-wise, but you don't appear to be slowing down. I hear you're writing a book on Jesse Jackson's 1988 presidential run. Tell us about it in the minute or so that we have left.
1: Yeah, we um, I am writing this book about Jesse Jackson and has a lot of the same themes, I think, of this past election cycle. I wanted to go back to a presidential race that people don't talk about all that much, but that had, I think, a really profound impact on American politics, but on Democratic Party politics in general. Uh, You know, Jesse Jackson uh, is someone who when you talk to political uh, figures in Washington today, they will say there would not be a Barack Obama without a Jesse Jackson. Correct. Some people would say that Jesse Jackson was the precursor to what we saw with Bernie Sanders in 2016 yep. and 2020. And so yeah. telling that story, I think, is so important. Looking f- it now when there's an interest in black stories. Looking forward
0: it. looking forward to it. Abby, thank you so much for joining us. Abby Phillip is the senior political correspondent at CNN and the host of Inside Politics Sunday with Abby Phillip. I'm Kojo Nam.
1: WAMU 88.5 is your listener-supported NPR news station in the greater Washington, D.C. region. You can support the Kojo Namdi Show and all the regional coverage you value by becoming a member today. Click the Donate button at WAMU.org and thanks.